Welcome to Plus One. It's your old buddy CH, and I have with me Pete Hawley. Hey, Pete. Hey, Chris. Good to see you. Pete is the chief product officer of 100 Thieves, but he's also an industry veteran and has been in the industry, I think, since 1994. Is that right, Pete? Oh, yeah. I think that's right, unfortunately, yeah. It's coming up on 30 years, I think. So tell the folks a little bit about your background. Yeah, 30 years is tough. So real short, I started off as a journalist, actually. I had the internet and a modem at home before most people did. It was 1993, and I downloaded Doom from ftp.itsoftware.com, and it was an alpha with no audio. And I reviewed it in the style of a magazine, having had nothing in print. Now, I left high school, I didn't go to college, and my passion for video games meant that I at least knew those with a deep encyclopedic knowledge. and. A, Passion and anyway, that's where it started. Really. I, I submitted this Doom review, and the magazine t- couldn't figure out where I'd got Doom. Ended up uh, getting that job. That's the long story short. So I was a, a journalist for a few years, and then with the dawn of the internet, realised it was probably a bad, bad idea because opinion was probably going to get democratised at some point. So who cared what some twenty-six-year-old in London gave a game eighty-two percent? It just seemed pointless. Yeah, I was really passionate about getting to work with all those people I'd interviewed. I'd, I'd met Molyneux, I'd met Sid Meier. I was just so impressed and blown away by their creativity and more importantly, the studios and the games that they built. I pushed real hard, ended up working at GT Interactive, which was a company based out of New York and had got lucky signing Wolfenstein and, and made Deer Hunter and then suddenly was working with id. So early on, I got to help work on the, the versions of Doom and Quake that were released in Europe. So I got to fly out and meet its software and hang out with Jay wow. and, and and it was that was my first interaction with software was like watching id software at work and meeting Jay Wilbur when he was running id before he went to Epic and it was amazing and that was my love of video games. I ended up as a producer again pushing real hard my first what you could consider a hit was Driver One on PlayStation One. That was unfortunately back in the day you did seven days a week for nine months to get that thing shipped but it, it was a hit. I then became, I guess, employee 15 at Lionhead, right back in the early days on the research park in Surrey. Obviously, we grew much bigger than that. We did black and white. We did Fable. I was there for five years. Ended up at Sony for a few years, where I did Media Molecule, because that's my Lionhead colleagues. And we helped put that studio together. I worked on Killzone. And then, as the joke was at the time in the UK, all roads lead to EA. Yeah, and uh, I was hired by Criterion to go and be EP on what was Black Two, and then that sort of started to diminish a little bit because the importance of Burnout. So I became EP on Burnout Paradise and had a blast making that, and integrated lots of data hooks into the software, which intrigued EA enough to move me to California and promote me to vice president. And then keep it short, last decade. Working in free-to-play mobile back in the early days, had my own startup. And then I was at Zynga for a few years. Um, I had three CEOs as a boss in three years. So it was a very wild ride where that company <laughs> tried to turn around its fortunes. And uh, yeah, did a stint in Web3 for three and a half years. And uh, honestly, just hit a bit of a wall after 12 years of free-to-play. I was like, I, yeah, I've got to get back to that magic of how I felt when I sat with Sid Meier or when I was the craziness of early Lionhead or that connection with somebody as brilliant as Jay Wilbur and those guys. I wanted to get back to that. It's not a veteran story in that sense. I just realized that I'd some way lost sight of why I've 
bloody love doing this anyway. <laughs> so I decided to make a choice to go back to building and making things with great people. Wow, what about what a background. I love that that you started off <clears throat> reviewing Doom and then wound up working with the Ed guys. That's awesome. Just serendipity, yeah. There's just absolutely no connection to that at all. It was just I ended up being hired by GT Interactive and they did a deal with it. That was it. I was 24 years old. I had yeah. no connection with that deal. And the industry was so small back then. You find an entry point and you're almost going to hit almost anybody at that point. Yeah. And since lifelong friends from each and every one of those companies and studios that I mentioned, and that's probably yeah. the thing I'm happiest and proudest of, that I was just in Brighton for develop and there's a table of 15 people that I've known since 98, 99, right up to folks I worked with just a year ago. So it's just a magical moments, GDC or otherwise. I know how you feel about free to play. I'd say as a designer or creative, I'm very much a systems guy. So I like the complex systems stuff. Um, and the MMO-ish type thing. And but I got burned out on free to play too. And oddly I went to Web3, which is like even more mechanical. But it wasn't the mechanics that was burning me out. We were spending all our time working to pay Facebook for acquisition. I felt like we weren't making games anymore and we were just making things to acquire people. Yeah, it became a mechanical efficiency of the churn machine. And yeah. The arbitrage involved with rotating inventory and that's all fine and work. It, it separated from the art form. Because actually, when I was at Zynga, there was an absolute connection to the R4. Yeah. Everybody that was making and running Farmville and Cityville, of, of which I'm not going to claim any responsibility for, but just being around those two teams, they were veterans. These were people that had worked on The Sims and had come from EA and Command and Conquer. Like the, the people who built Farmville and Cityville had intersected with product management from those web backgrounds and monetization. It was a very unhappy relationship to begin with. But yeah, absolutely the craft first. And then that, that machine, once it was rolling, was pretty astonishing. Oh, until again, back to your point on Facebook, they decided to turn that off too, quite dramatically and, and quickly as the audience migrated to mobile. But yeah, I'd lost the sense of wonder. And whilst yeah. I enjoy systems and math, I've learned an astonishing amount of things and I still hold dear to my heart and systems and core loops. It also made me realize the people I need to hire around me because of the things I'm really not very good at. Mm -hmm. That was the biggest outcome for me. But yeah, to get back to the craft of it may sound obvious to some, but making a choice of how and where you do that's not easy these days. And where do you go? Like you go back to a free to play studio that's living in a world of LTV charts and sheets and spreadsheets, or do you go to a big company that's got 700 people spending a billion dollars? What's in between? So you wound up going to 100 Thieves, which I think most people know as an esports uh, company, mm. uh, which has not traditionally been a game maker, and you're the first chief product officer, right? So right. we'd like to understand the strategy and what attracted you to 100 Thieves. While I was at Mythical, I was an advisor to 100 Thieves. I've known John who's president and CEO. I've known John since my EA days. He was in the business development group back when I was EP on burnout. So we got to know each other and became friends and worked together on and off at startups along the way. So I was an advisor to 100 Thieves and they just had this inkling that with the instincts and insights of their creators and pro players and with the reach that they had through all the various channels, 
plus their authentic storytelling and connection to the audience, that might be an interesting engine to develop games. And my advice as an advisor was like, don't do it. <laughs> you're gonna, <laughs> you're gonna burn all your money trying. And I remember John was took me out to dinner in Venice and was like, oh, you should join. I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm enjoying mythical and you guys are crazy. And I met Matt Maidshot to those who, you know, his, his handle. And he's just such a great guy. I also loved him because his CEO bio was a community college dropout, former McDonald's cashier. It was the most like refreshing CEO bio I'd ever read. I was like, give me a fairly good insight into what he's like. And he, I met him too, obviously during this period as an advisor. And then I left Mythical and I took four months off and I was like, okay, what am I going to do here? Because I don't want to do Web3. And you can imagine, even at the time, things were still red hot in Web3. And so I had n- no shortage of weird conversations with people. And but I wanted to get back to the craft. But then the bigger companies, I, where's the craft? Because if you go back to the some of the cliches, if you like, from Apple's golden circle, right, which is they start with the why. I'm like, I need to start with working with a company who, who has a why. Yeah. Why yeah. are you making this piece of software? You need to answer that question, like... And uh, yeah, 100 Thieves, like pretty convincing, mostly because of a very unique, interesting and authentic way to tell a story about how a game is made and then how to bring it to market. And so it felt like a super interesting, don't need $100 million of marketing creative problem to help solve. And honestly, where creative tools are and engines and talent, I had a belief that I don't need $100 million to make a game and I don't need $100 million to market one. And Actually, John asked me to put a, a, a presentation together, which was about how would 100 Thieves go about doing this? And it was during the process of this few months off when I wrote this deck and I got to the end of it. I'm like, actually, I should probably go do that. <laughs> yeah, I bet he knew, right? Oh, he John, knew. John's wicked smart. He knew. He I, knew you well enough and he knew. Yeah. So, okay, I'll throw this challenge at him and I'll just ask him as a consulting thing or whatever, throw this deck together and just give me some thoughts. And then he'll get it in his head and then he'll want to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you're correct. John was correct. I'm a little slow. It, it took, took me a couple of months to figure that out. But yeah, so that was 18 months ago. I, I joined in, in March. And what's your game strategy to the degree you can disclose it? What kind of games are you going after we're going to talk about Fortnite, mm. what you're doing in Fortnite, but yeah. will you be doing standalone games as well yep we've announced project x it's our i guess what you could describe as triple a first person shooter but to answer your question i always used to have this joke at ea that if you <laughs> i got in trouble for this but if you <laughs> you just take a load of dudes and stick them in a room for five months they're going to come out with orcs and space marines so don't bother going in the room let's just <laughs> move faster with software and part of that conversation is who's this game going to be for who's our audience and by the way what is it that we don't want to make that was an amazing exercise to go through i think it's one of the first things studios should do what are we not making and what's the biggest turnoff for us and it's not really a marketing or a gap exercise or red blue ocean exercise it's a what's our dna as a company and where would we best inject that energy into software and a very long story short and weeks of interesting conversation dialogue and xy charts about the market and different games we ended up with building a first person shooter and much more specific than that what style what tone what everything and from there 
once we've made that decision fairly quickly, everyone was happy and on board. I just scoured Los Angeles for all the best Call of Duty talent. I was introduced to former and current Infinity Ward and Treyarch studio heads, mm-hmm. and I grilled them. I had some thoughts and beliefs on where we should start with a shooter as 100 Thieves, because no one's going to believe we're going to be capable of making a video game, because everyone calls us the hoodie org, even when we try and do anything interesting. Mm. So I, I, I had this assumption and these technical, diligent, depth conversations with folks about the importance of netcode and scale and how without great netcode, nothing will ever work and nerded out with that and managed to find two or three phenomenal engineers that had worked on Black Ops 2 and 3, two of our all-time favorites. And they've written some pretty magical netcode, which I, I believe is best in class for, for where we'd need to be against anything uh, like Valorant or Call of Duty. That, that's not to say we're going to build a game anywhere near as successful and we have a lot of modesty about where we're at, our aspirations, but I do know that our foundation is rock solid. So we started that process. We hired six, seven people. We've built this pretty awesome prototype. And that's not me saying that because clearly I'm not target audience anymore. You want to try testing a prototype first-person shooter with the LA Thieves, the, the current Call of Duty world champions. I can tell you that is a freaking miserable experience for people like me, but they, they love the prototype. Everything we're doing with gunplay and precision and movement and the code that needs to support that, that was a, a big win for us going into the tail end of last year. And then, yeah, we, we've been building that in parallel. And then we went to GDC and we've been working very closely with Epic on Unreal for Project X. And then I was with all my Epic friends. I'm sure we have lots of mutual connections there. And like, oh yeah, we're going to do this thing. Uh, and it's not really ready for prime time, but it's going to be a ton of fun and we're going to share revenue. Blah, blah, blah. So that was the first seed of, oh, I might be able to test some of our other theses about ideas and using our creators and influencers and broadcasters and our creators and our pros and our reach to do something way faster than 18 months, two years, however long our other game takes. So, so before we dive into the Fortnite stuff on Project X, Shooters are, have to be the most competitive category in gaming. So it's it's natural to start there in a way because that's what a lot of these streamers play. And so it makes sense. But it's also really intimidating even for people who know that genre really well. Why did you decide to do first-person shooter f- first despite kind of the competitive environment? It's interesting just running through my career biography, you'll notice that everything I've ever done is actually mildly terrifying at the beginning. Trying to build an open world driving game in two mega RAM on a fucking single speed CD-ROM, it's not a great idea. (laughs) (laughs) Fable, black and white, terrible ideas from the outset. (laughs) It somehow managed to get them done. Burnout Paradise, trying to build complex AI traffic systems in an open world where players can do whatever they want. I, I... I don't like picking easy fights, <laughs> but the the genre is absolutely terrifying. Joking aside, it really is, and it's and it's a it's a cemetery of, of failed shooters. I I do think our diligence will help us. Here's here's actually the exercise we did. We did all the math on Steam and Epic, and it turns out that if you make a um, if you turn, make an original first person shooter, you have about an eight percent chance of success. Eight percent could be you return the money you spent making it or success could be you just start to make a little money but eight percent is the bracket of failure and so i always laugh it reminds me of star wars where 
C3PO's giving him the orders. We shut like never tell me the odds. Percent. I'm like, all right. So the exercise then was, again, with great modesty, was like, how do we increment our chances of being successful, right? Okay, so we add net code, maybe that, whatever, 7 8%, because it's going to feel so precise, connected. It's going to maintain everything that's important to us as a company, right? Competitive integrity. Whatever they see, I see, you die, I die. Everything related to how that works. The fact that we have Nate Shot as a CEO and a founder, his DNA is a Call of Duty champion. He played for Optic, he founded 100 Thieves. The LA Thieves are world champions. We have a Valorant team. It's just in our DNA. We can, right, use that. Right. we can use that to our advantage when we use our creators and our pros to stream our game live together. Yeah. But yeah. to John's point, it's like making sneakers for Michael Jordan. This game can't be shit. They're going to tell us if it's not very good. And that's enlightening. So we're going through this exercise of, oh, we have an 8% chance of success and we're a small company and no one's going to believe we're capable of doing it. So how are we just going to increment those chances to what, maybe 40, 60, maybe 50, 50, right? We're, we're working through that and we're being very modest about that because we do look back at the, the graveyard of failed attempts and take that very seriously. We don't assume for a second that because of our background, our DNA and who we are, or even our careers or the folks that we've had, all of that helps, but there's no, no guarantees here. But that's the reason we did it. it it's, I've only ever te seen teams be hugely success successful when they're building a game that's part of their DNA as people and as creators. And that's regardless of the fact 100 Thieves has never made a game, that's essentially the, the DNA of the company. Yeah, that's very compelling. It's You almost didn't have a choice but to make a first-person shooter. It's your DNA. It's what your audience watches. It's what your, it's what your influencers play. Yeah. It felt that way. It felt like a no-brainer. In any creative or technical endeavor, you, you go through the roller coaster of you play the prototype, and this is going to be great. And then you look at the market, and you're like, oh, God, we're screwed. You're on, right. that, you're on that roller coaster, even in this early phase, just being realistic with each other. And it's been very refreshing to hire brilliant people, strip out any middle management and ego, and just get to no legacy code, no legacy ideas, no legacy ego, no legacy structure. No playbook for software development, and I just get to use 30 years of the, the, the good, the bad, the ugly, the successes and the failures and try and build something using the best of all of that. But I love that comparison to Air Jordan because, in a sense, yes, you're trying to build the greatest shoe of all time, but you're also trying to build Michael Jordan's shoe. Yeah. And Dr. Disrespect can do the same thing yeah. with Dead Drop. But the game that 100 Thieves is going to make is, is crafted with 100 Thieves sensibility in collaboration with your esports players and your influencers. Oh, I think that's really with your important. audience, right? On, yeah, honestly, like the integration of my team and my growing studio with our creators and our pros and with Matt as CEO, like it, it's one company. And, and that, those feedback loops, those iterations in software are consistent. So that's a huge win. That's what How I do you bring them into the process? You know, the, the easy answer is you know, the, the game runs on Steam, peer-to-peer -peer session. You can jump in at any point. It's constantly live. We're, we're significantly changing and pushing new content, new, new movements, animations, new characters, new weapon balances. We've built some really interesting systems where, like the old Quake console, you can hit the tilde key and you can, you can type in any single variable in the game and change it instantly, and it deploys to everybody in the server 
uh, in, in milliseconds. And so we can all, oh, that weapon seals better. Oh, that weapon spreads good. Oh, this sprint movement's a little odd. Oh, can you increase the jump speed? Can we change gravity? Like, we're just constantly shifting, changing variables in these play sessions. And everyone has it on Steam. We jump in any time. We, we distribute that across all our pros and we see people playing fairly consistently. And then at the end of these sessions, we can save those new variables as a blob and use it as the basis for the next. And God, we move so quickly because of that. That's the, that connection on a weekly, every two weeks, every month, it's so helpful because the insights and instincts that I hear are things that I would never get. No, it doesn't matter how many games I've made over what period of time. I get feedback like Matt was playing and it's running at 120 frames a second at 240 hertz on a monitor. And he looks at me and goes, feels a bit draggy. I'm like, what the fuck? How is that draggy? So we had a conversation and it turned, long story short, it turns out that there was a disconnect between mouse acceleration in Windows and Unreal. And it was the mouse just wasn't as directly connected as we wanted to be. And we had to change all the actual OS level settings of mouse. So, and he's like, oh, yeah, that's it. It's perfect. I, was like, I would never have called that. Wow. In a million wow. years. So, You're saying it was so subtle, but because... Oh, I couldn't see it. Like, I couldn't see it. In the same way, I can't see these kids when I'm getting shot in the head. <laughs> 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 LA thieves are like bunny hopping with pistols behind walls, just shooting everyone. And before we know what's going on, we're all dead. So it's, we have to temper our playtests. Otherwise, I'm just going to smash my monitor <laughs> Now, when uh, Riot did this with Valorant, they talk a lot about this custom hardware setup that they did on the server side. I mean, mm. I assume you're not having to do any of that. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm so happy with the netcode performance we have. And without getting too technical or deep in the weeds of, of how that works, it's a, a technology we use called SnapNet from a couple of awesome engineers who worked on Call of Duty called High Ground, and it separates logic from rendering from netcode and, and can capture the entire simulation frame by frame, which means we have kill cams from day one. And I say day one, these guys have been working on this for years, but in terms of software, it just gets us that instant snappiness and integrity we need to be able to do the sneakers for Jordan thing, really. You have that competitive integrity. And if I was living in a world, for example, where we built a prototype and, and after two months, everyone's just pissed because the animations are terrible and the characters are lagging and you shoot someone and they thought they'd die, but they didn't. And so like, if I was living in that world of frustration because we'd made poor or average netcode decisions early on, because like, we're working with Epic and they gave us a source code to Unreal and we took out their netcode and put this in. And they were like, why did you do that? I said, because Fortnite doesn't have the integrity we need to do what we're doing. Like, it, And I'm not saying Fortnite is Unreal, but the, the netcode in Unreal just doesn't give us that level of like connectivity and, and connection and precision that, we're, that we're, we're looking for. Those are the kinds of choices we're making. We're not building enormous levels and trying to fill them with players yeah. and run around and pretend that we're having a good time, right? We're right down at the foundations of what makes great software. It's a bit like when we made Burnout, right? Give me a V8 muscle car, donutting in the middle of a crossroads, and until that feels and sounds great, we ain't building any more cars. Yeah, that's the fundamental building block of the game, right? Yeah. How does it go around the corner? I know the road's wide enough. All of those things are so critical. It's basic production process. It's what's your biggest technical risk? What's your biggest creative risk? Prove yeah. that down first, and the rest yeah. of it is content. Yeah. So, you know, for, for, for anybody listening, 
who are professional video game makers, some of that may sound just completely obvious, but I've worked at any number of studios recently where they miss those foundations and they just oh, can't, the yeah, they just can't plug them in and fix them later. Like, you want to try and fix your netcode two years into death? No chance. So let's talk about Fortnite. So you just launched a bank heist yeah. level map on mm. on Fortnite. Yeah. And which was a delight to see. I thought it was brilliant for maybe you can't say it, but I can say it for hundred thieves. It makes so much sense for you to do payday basically, or something very inspired by payday. So you did a bank heist and you launched it. How long ago? About a week, two weeks. July 11th, right before I went to Europe on vacation, which is like terrible timing, but yeah, July 11th. And then we had a big stream with the Renate Sharp and Courage and some other awesome creators. Vinny Hacker jumped in and Brooke was there. What a nice sort of rotation of our creators playing and coming back to the sneaker thing. If the game was fundamentally no good or not much fun, these guys aren't going to stream it. They're just not going to. This isn't, yeah. oh, 100 Thieves made a game, so I'm going to. That's not how this works. Right. Like, it, it really does have to be fun because whilst Matt is the CEO of 100 Thieves, he obviously has his own community and audience and his own integrity and authenticity that he has to protect, obviously. So yeah, it it was a pretty awesome experience. We launched on July 11th. It was six weeks of development from from the idea to sandbox to prototype to product iteration to release, and pretty determined to not have it look like Fortnite. You've played it. There's a bank, and all of those buildings are our own. The street, the building, everything is is custom built. Apart from the thing you can't change, which is character camera control. Those those are the things that. Obviously, Fortnite's magical and sticky in, in that sense, so we don't need to change it. So it was a balance between fun game mode, something we'd enjoy making that 100 Thieves could be proud of, that was very unique and interesting and wasn't a copy of anything in the market. And then just a celebration of what Fortnite is rather than complaining about what it isn't, if that makes sense. We started off trying to build a, a balanced team tactics weapon. There's so many weapons in Fortnite and no spreadsheet and no data. It's an impossible task. So three days in, we're like, nah, let's just put the bush bomb and the disco ball and the fucking like, <laughs> let's have some fun with it. So it's like that approach. Yeah. It's, it went top 30 in, in the first nine days. We had 1.5 million unique players. We had six and a half to 7,000 concurrent players, which would put us in a good spot on any chart, on any platform. So. It was, in our eyes, a huge success because we didn't copy anything. We built something unique, something interesting, something new. We thought it was on strategy for Epic. It was definitely really good fun for us. And it, it was proof of concept that you can move with what we call great completion urgency without ego and without legacy, with a focus on engineering, you could do something very quickly and very well because there's no design committee. There's right. No there's no producer meetings. It's just environment art and our artists joined us from Blizzard and Overwatch 1 and 2. Absolutely phenomenal talent. They can wow. do anything. They can light it. They can build it. They can texture it. It's they're like of, OP for the task, right? 100% OP. Yeah. But that's where the six weeks come from. And, and to be honest, for those guys who joined us from bigger companies, we've got guys from Take 2 and Blizzard joined and a number of others. I'm not singling any one company out. They just love they can build something in a month and release it and work in Unreal 5.2 with custom work tools. They, they reckon they're about five to 10 times faster. 
just by working on contemporary tools with no legacy and no design and production beams. And that, that's easy to do when there's only six of us on a simple idea. Obviously, let's see how that goes as we scale studio. In the collective studios at Zynga, there's 1,500 people and 16, 17 products at one point. I know what noise looks like, but yeah, we had a lot of fun. So how many people? Actually building it, I don't include myself. <laughs> five. Five. Yeah, and so that was what, two devs and then some artists? Two devs, two artists, and then a level designer who joined us from the CSGO community. Wow. Good story there. Yeah, he just emailed in his portfolio to our dev at 100 Thieves, asking for a job, sent his portfolio. His work was amazing. He was working in the suburbs of Toronto in a retail warehouse at night, and we ended up hiring him full-time, and he's absolutely incredible. Our environment artist said what would take some people at other companies he's worked at months, Sheldon does in four days. He's he's incredible. Wow. Now, are you remote or in-person or hybrid? Bit of both. I live in in Seattle. We've got guys in Bay Area, Orange County, Toronto, St. Louis. Guy in Philippines, Tokyo, Barcelona. As we start to add to the talent pool for Project X, small team in the UK, and yeah, more to come. We're going to hire about another 25, 26 people soon. We've got a couple of announcements coming on Project X. So what was the goal of the Fortnite exercise? Was it just to learn about the platform and ship something quickly? Yeah, it looked like a great opportunity coming back from GDC. It's tailor-made for us as 100 Thieves, whether that be who we are and the creators that we have and our DNA as a company. It felt that my small team, as we wait to close out this funding and, and grow to build Project X, let's actually get after something that could be a ton of fun. And then in the background, we have this thesis that if we make content and software as an organization, one, it'd be great to have some software so people take us more seriously. So we're not hoodie org. We, we can actually build good, fun software and do that very quickly. And also test the thesis that having a, a real collection of, of pros and creators that come together and have fun playing games, which we can then broadcast and then put through our, I think our social channels collectively have 160 million followers. So I, it was a test of that thesis in six weeks instead of waiting 18 months. What, what we discovered was you see a lot of games on UEFN, they'll, they'll come out and they'll hit often, honestly, quite a lot of the time. 12 or 24 concurrent players and within a day or two they just completely disappeared what we know what we noticed was that when our creators and matt and courage played day one it got us this instant 300 concurrent 700 concurrent suddenly it was like oh there's a flywheel and then and i don't know this because it is something of a black box i think then the algorithms just picked it it's almost like they hooked into it oh shit it's new in ufan bosh it's whatever and then we obviously submitted because of the work we've done and Epic gave us an Epic pick. And that was like being on the first page of Apple back in the day when we were all fighting for installs and discovery in 2011. I was going to ask how people discover it, but it sounds like uh, a combination of your own channels featuring, and then that results in charting. Is that basically it? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. If you're going to go back and just metaphorically compare it to those days, it's like being featured and that gave us a lift. But what we noticed was that our initial push as 100 Thieves, even though it was only for a short three-hour burst, it wasn't consistent over many days, that 
created this flywheel of concurrency and the game became very sticky very quickly and then epics algorithms for a few tiles on that discovery page just seemed to pick it up and then we got a about four days after that we got an epic pick and that's when things really took off and then we stuck there for quite a long time even after we stopped getting featured we didn't disappear we were six and a half thousand concurrent and then we were consistently running at three to four thousand for way longer than i imagined and a pretty good retention on that, that early group of players wow so what's it like to develop on uefn <laughs> it's, it's awful it's awful <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty janky man i'm not gonna lie good lord you work in inverse which is essentially a script language like lua and it was really funny when i look back that as game developers i was talking to damon who's our director of engineering and i was like so could we do this he's like no i went what about these no what about we need to be able to do that? no we can't do that what <laughs> we realized very quickly that Team tactics and weapon balance was out of the window. And sophisticated, persistent, more importantly, persistent game logic and court that, forget it. And then we just decided, you know what? We could spend a day or two complaining about that, writing long emails to Epic. Let's just build a game experience and celebrate exactly what it is. I don't <laughs> care about what it can't do. We have what phase two, you have to load all the money you've stolen onto a payload and escort it down the street. Dude, trying to get that payload to move consistently. <laughs> really? No, oh, dude, I was like, this is like 1993. I'm like, can we just move this thing on a spline, please? It was pretty janky, but we celebrated that and just created lots of interesting hacks and workarounds for ourselves because of the creative output or goal that we had in mind. Like mm-hmm. UEFN is like a giant Lego box of Fortnite content and mm-hmm. you just dive in there and find all the bits that can help you, in our case, build, build a bank heist game. You want to try flying that helicopter. Ooh. So some of it was really tough and a little frustrating, but I'd say that was very early on. Once we realized what our limitations were and we time boxed our effort and we time boxed our art quality and we time boxed our decision to fuck around in verse scripts and when we decided to just make rapid iterative progress every single day with a june 30th deadline we managed to to build a pretty great experience by not overthinking it all so yeah it's pretty janky but that was part of the fun honestly looking back so uefn is basically the functionality from fortnite is what they're exposing Plus, and plus a little like, more, yeah. yeah, it's essentially an Unreal Editor for Fortnite. So it obviously, right. as, you, as a developer, it's, it's the editor that sits on top of the core engine and you don't get access to the attributes, variables, or code of that engine, even though it's built on Unreal. What you get is the, the script, which allows you to hook in and manipulate those things, but that's it. In the end, I remember when I was talking with Matt very early on, coming back from GDC, I was like, hey, there's an opportunity here, I think, to build ideas quickly and test out our thesis and have good fun doing it. And he's and he said to me, Are you into it? And I said, Are you into Fortnite? Because it's gonna play like Fortnite. There's no way around it. It's gonna look and feel and play like Fortnite. But guess what? 70 million people a month fucking love it. So like, let's just celebrate that. And that's what we did. How successful were you in expanding beyond the Hundred Thieves community and bring in people from the broader Fortnite community and what kind of feedback or insights do you have on that? Community? Quite a lot. We don't have any literal data, unfortunately, because of the whole process 
the whole platform, the whole discovery mechanism is a black box. So compared to say your history in free to play and my time at Zynga, that can be quite frustrating. I don't know who these people are. I have a median session link. I don't know what my top 10% is doing. Like all of those things, those questions, you're not going to get the answers to those things. Just deal with what it is that you, that you have in front of you. Yeah, it, it, it was pretty wild from that sense, but our Discord is very lively. And I've also noticed not just a community of Fortnite players that come in and give us feedback for what we might do next with Bankhouse. I think we have about another four to six game ideas that we're prototyping, noodling, and thinking about doing really quickly and very soon. And we've just had such great insights from the Fortnite audience, tend to skew very young. And obviously, if you, if you don't know who you're building your game content for, you're in real trouble anyway. So the idea that we now know who these folks are, more of what they like. Bank Heist wasn't really that. Bank Heist was, Payday is one of our favorites. I've heard three is astonishing. Just conceptually, it's a great idea. You can see a lot of bank jobs, bank robberies, and bank heists on Roblox. That's contrastable. That's why we made those choices. Now we're going a little broader, I would say. The other amazing thing that's happening is how connected and open the development community on UEFN is. Very mm. cool. Almost because of those black boxes that we can't see into on the platform, the community is super open. It's much money we're making and like it, it, this is our concurrency. And so we're not going to fall into that trap necessarily, but the people who are actually developing, I've noticed this huge groundswell of young folks who are either using verse or environment art say, I just want to be in video games and I'm looking for an opportunity. And so we, we literally this week plucked two or three people coming out of college, using UAFN, showing great work, want to be in games, can see our flywheel, may or may not know of a hundred thieves. Like I think the community is super interesting, even early on. Yeah, very much, very much. I love that part of it. I advise game fam, which is one of the bigger, I know, uh, I know Joe. Creators. Yeah, Joe, you know. Joe, Joe's been super helpful to us generally for how we've thought about brands and Roblox. He's, he's great. He came to the compound recently. Yeah, he's a great guy. One of the things I've learned from him is that Roblox creators are a hybrid between they're not game developers in the the strict sense that you and I have come up with. A lot of them are hobbyists or they're a combination of influencer and script kitty a lot of the beginning ones with fortnite and doing ufn it's going to breed a whole new type of game maker who's good at cultivating audience and has some game making craft to them yeah and especially because they're in the audience they are the audience right it, i think yeah. it's one of the struggles that larger companies have right where you've just grown up making video games in this business and suddenly you're a middle-aged guy, you're not target audience anymore. So how, how are you going to call the shots on products and product direction? Unless you're calling the shots on something that's 15 years old and obviously that's very different. My, I was inspired at GDC for what you just described really. But actually my favorite moment is from GDC was um, the guys who made Frontlines and Roblox reached out through some mutual connections wanted to meet me and chat about development and just talk about studios and games and stuff. So I arranged to meet them at GDC and I went to the Roblox mixer because some of my old friends from Zynga now work at Roblox and I showed up at this thing <laughs> and, he, and he texted me and they couldn't get in because they weren't 21. <laughs> I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> like, that's, when has that ever happened? 
like they couldn't get into their own event. I had to go outside and meet them in the street. So I, I was just really inspired by this group of kids that have, no one's ever taught them to talk shit for a living, like in, in corporate meetings and presentations. So they're just free and fresh of any of that nonsense. And they could just get to their ideas really quickly. And it's quite inspiring, really. I left thinking, man, if I'm running a studio and I, I raise $70 million and I raise 100 people against one idea, I'm absolutely terrified right now. There's an army of kids coming. 75% of 9 to 14-year-olds have been using robots for the last decade. Some of these kids, by percentage, started when they were 12, they're now 22. So, same as me, they've spent okay. nearly half their lives building software. Yeah. Even as a percentile. I'm not 60 yet, that's not what I'm saying, but it's this idea that they've just spent 10 years and they're 21 now, and suddenly their tastes and aspirations are way higher than they were when they were 12 but they know how to hack things that don't work properly yeah like if, you look, if you look at front lines doesn't look like anything else on robots and you look at some of what's going to come out of ufn kids know how to hack and smash systems to bits to make it look like what's in their head i love that, that that's the purpose that they have it's amazing yeah, I just interviewed on my uh, last podcast that I that I posted today the teacher of my son's video game program at his yeah. uh, high school. He's since graduated and gone to USC, but they have a very unique program where they actually make games. It's a public high school, so it's not private, and they make and ship mobile games. Charlie went into USC with three games under his belt. That's yeah. and everything. And one of the big secrets of this program is that the teacher just says, hey, if there's something you need to learn, it's on YouTube. <laughs> they learn about game design because there's videos that break down every game and every feature of every game to the excruciating detail that, that you couldn't even get a PM to write a, a teardown this good. Anything they need to learn to hack together in the engine, they can look up online. It's amazing. Yeah, we spoke to a few. I love it, I love it because my son's the same as 21, it's a target audience and you just say, hey, we're thinking about doing this. He goes, no, that won't work. <laughs> I was like, okay, thanks. But like when he played Bank Heist Prototype early on, because he, he's home for summer, when he's playing Bank Heist, he's like, the payload needs to give health and shield because otherwise there's no incentive to stay with it and keep it moving. Because that's what yeah. we did in Team Fortress 2. And I was like, yep, you're right. <laughs> I just love that. It's so refreshing. And 100 Thieves is all of that and more. Everyone's in their 20s. Everybody just loves, eats, shits, plays video games all day, all night. And it's easy. No one's become jaded or fallen out of love with it. Or it's like when you're at Zinger, it's like, oh, the free food's not very good. You're just like, yeah. Yeah, but what about the game? Yeah. It's great to celebrate that, just to be in the culture. I think we stand a, a reasonable chance just because of that. Everyone's very outspoken, really great people, and uh, extremely talented, very vocal, and... It just helps me make better software, I think. I really resonate with, with what you're saying about how a lot of people that we've worked with in big studios or more corporate gaming environments should be terrified because, and you brought it up a couple times, the idea of just starting clean with no legacy. You could just go so fast now. Honestly, just that. Yeah. Out of all the other things we've talked about and other friends in the business I've talked to, this isn't like... We think we're better. We're right now six people growing to 30 with an idea. Like, I'm, these guys make billions of dollars. I'm not saying we're better. What I am saying is that as time passes by, those ideas and those engines and those workflows and that code base and those people are just going to legacy out if they're not careful. It's too slow. 
and it's too expensive and it has no urgency and i think a lot of them have fallen out of love with the business and, and have forgotten why they're doing it well, yeah. why why you did because we did one last year all right it's not really the why you should do something but <laughs> So, and, and they and they don't just not have the urgency, but they've gotten comfortable to with a very slow pace because they're on these big franchises that have a set schedule and Call of Duty takes a certain amount of time to make and they have overlapping teams of thousands of people and it comes out every year. But here you are with a small scrappy team trying to compete with that. It sounds crazy, but you can do it because of the tools. Yeah, it's true. And the tools are contemporary and fun to work with and probably the best they've ever been. We love video games. I, I, I play Warzone and people complain about some changes they might make or a new meta that's breaking the game or whatever. I'm like, you know what? You have to remember that you're in a helicopter fast roping into this open world environment with your friends. Like, it doesn't get much better than this. Like, yeah. this is fucking amazing. I wish people would, would just pause and think about how incredible that is, but it, it is what it is. Audiences are very outspoken, often toxic, but we're not measuring ourselves against these Valorants doing 500 billion. Sure, we, we, we hope to make something successful. We're certainly not a company where you've worked at public companies. Whereas I think if your games are not doing 150 million a year, yeah. we're, not that, we're not interested. And I, and I get it, size, scale, etc. We We don't need to be in that position. We, we feel very free and liberated from that to be able to just do what's right in the software. So that's a, a help for our percentage effectiveness and our ability to be successful. Yeah, there's almost no success that's ever happened that started with the premise of, I, I just want to make a lot of money. Like none of these games that are this successful started with the primary idea was we're just going to engineer our way into printing money. And when you do, which a lot of these free-to-play games maybe are an example of trying to do that, it's still it's still hit or miss. And it turns out people actually care about what they're playing and spending money in. So they can, yeah. they have a lot of choices and they can tell when you don't care. Yeah, they, they do immediately, almost. And especially the, coming back to the DNA of why we would make a shooter, but as you go through your career, you remember key questions or insights that you were asked when you started a game, you're running the UK studio, Criterion, or, and you're asked these difficult questions. At the time, they're really annoying, right? You're in, I was in my early 30s. And, What's burnout all about? And I'm like, I don't know, racing and crashing. And they force you to be more precise. And when you get into the business and realize that the risk that you're up against, I always have this question EA used to ask, which is find the unmet need. And it's, that's a really fucking hard question. Because you're like, all right, what's the unmet need in first-person shooters? You're like, oh, God. With 400 games and 7,000 game modes and 28,000 weapons, <laughs> I'm not sure. But actually, that's one of the questions we're asking. What's the unmet need? And then that means it's not about design by committee or veteran status or guy at big company. Finding the unmet need is connecting with your community. I noticed playing Battlebit recently, which has been so much fun. Yeah. The community's done two things that blow me away. One is they role play their death like they're in Saving Private Ryan. So it's probably the best use of proximity chat ever. 
you know, crying out for their fucking mom and like, I'm down, man. <laughs> it's like, you guys go on without me. I, I love battle bits, role play. It's amazing and had such a good time. But then simple little features like hold down alt to move your head left and right as you run in one direction. Mm-hmm. The, the, just those little iterations that people love. And then they ask the developers, when are you going to put shotguns in? And they're like, we're not. They're either shit or OP. And I was like, holy shit, that's actually true. So it's that level of connection with community and being honest. I, I see that with Battlebit. And that, that's been a, a really great launch that, that I've watched with a lot of interest, not just because it's been successful as a game, just because how they interact with the community and their attitude, their point of view. And it's been great to watch. But you can take the, you you can take those chances like they're either shit or they're OP when you have a small team and you keep it tight, right? That's the thing is that when the budget becomes two hundred million dollars, three hundred million dollars, you can't take any risks, and that's why so many of these smaller guys or a game like Battlebit is able to, you know, do so well. It's it's a small team and it's low poly, but they focused on the thing you're supposed to focus on, which is the fun. Yeah. And also do less better. I don't need to be in a four-week conversation about why an M16 has 37 attachments and how they're all going to feel and play differently from each other. I just don't think that's true. I just think the complexity of the systems and the the variables around game balance and the number of people you've employed that have to own that and debate that. I just, just give me an M16. I I don't need all those attachments. I'm not talking as like middle-aged guy. I'm not target audience. I think people are craving like two things. One is just give me more simple, focused, less better. Yeah. Give me a ranked play opportunity where I want to be sweaty and I know exactly who I'm up against. Or just let me play something pretty casual in the same game and have a great time. Okay, that they're some of the big feedback loops that we get from our community. Keep it simple. And then yeah. let, me, let me be sweaty and compete or not. And this is the other thing about games is gaming tastes change, right? We often talk about finding the fun and you could go back in time and play any of the super fun games from the, from the past and they're still fun. But the things that audiences are looking for in new games are always a little different because it is culture and it shifts with the culture and it shifts with the conversation on Twitter and on Twitch and on TikTok and whatever. It's constantly moving, right? Uh, yeah, and, and that's always the hardest thing about making a video game, right, is recency bias. I, I, yeah. You work on something for three months and then something amazing comes out. I remember we were making Burnout and that freaking open world game came out. What was it called? It was made in Scotland. And you were like a superhero and he jumped around the buildings. Oh, God, my memory's terrible. It was an amazing Steve game. Rose? No. I can't remember. I should have done my research before I jumped on this call. But anyway, <laughs> the idea was that you, this character could leap and jump across roofs and buildings. And our creative director on Burnout came in one day and said, all right, we can't do an open world game without going on building roofs. And I was like, wait, none of these buildings have been built to drive a car on them. It doesn't matter. We can't release an open world game unless we can go on the rooftops. And I was like, all right. So we just rebuilt the entire world to have rooftops and ramps. And that turned out to be it great idea but that recency bias is very difficult right because oh the apex legends end game is the best in the business and it's extremely watchable and the movement and gunplay is probably best in class but valorant's tactics team play rank play is incredible and keeps people coming back and you're looking left and right so recency bias is hard that, that that's hard in 
my environment. There's a lot of recency bias, like what's good, what's hot, what's incredible, where's it going to be a year from now? Yeah, you have to be careful because you don't want to do what you just did because what you you have a recency bias around what you just did. And then there's also a bias around what's happening right now as opposed to where things are going to be and what's hot of the moment. Mark Pincus was the best and worst at that. CEO, founder of Zynga. He was my boss for a year, right in the middle of my stint there. I always remember my first meeting with him. I loved it, actually. We sat down and Don Matrick was there and he said, hey, this is Pete, you just joined us. I went, oh, hey, Mark, nice to meet you. I heard a lot about you. And he looked at me and he went, and you still fucking came? So I was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And he goes, all right, he goes, we're going to work closely together on new product. So there's just one thing you need to know about me. 95% of my instincts are absolutely spot on. 95% of my ideas are shit. And I was like, I'm going to remember okay. that. And people had, told, people had told me like examples of this over time where he, he had this instinct that people should come back to their farms every day. Pretty solid, right? That's a good idea. Good instinct. Yeah. How do you, how do you get people to come back every day and repeat, repeat? His idea was that if people couldn't be bothered coming back, the farms had oil derricks, which would spill oil all over the crops. And everyone's that's a really terrible idea. <laughs> so obviously crop withering and taking care of your animals was obviously the winner there. But yeah, I, I, th I think <laughs> separating ideas from instincts as well is, a, is an important part of this. The game, so, was, the game was Crackdown, by the way. Crackdown? Crackdown. Oh, that you were talking the, about earlier. The open world, yeah, sorry. It, came to be in my old farts brain there about five minutes after I mentioned it. Nice. Yeah. So before I left you, let you go, I wanted to do a post-mortem with you on web three, other than wanting to get back to the craft <clears throat> and getting away from heavily monetized games. What did you learn from web three? What did you like about it? What did you not like about it? I can go back to I was on a road trip. All my family were back in England seeing family and I had to work. So I went to Yosemite by myself and I was trying to think about what I should be doing next. I was in that another gap. And I listened to a podcast where this professor talked about the potential power of smart contracts in Ethereum. And I also did some research and figured that much of that had been built around the idea of protecting game content assets, ownership, and so on. And the idea that you and I could, could, could um, have a transaction that was legitimate and, and would track, and that artists could get paid exponentially as a percentage of revenue. And that ownership is important because we've, we found ourselves in a $200 billion a year business, but nobody owns anything, right? We're, we're just leasing this shit. And this was four or five years ago now, obviously. And I was really attracted to that idea that if somebody pulls this off from a creative, technical and platform perspective, it's super compelling because if I own it, that's pretty important. And there were lots of stories about the sword that's one of one or the gun that won the World Call of Duty World Championship and all its attributes could then be handed to a player and make things more literal, more zero sum and more one to one and more about player communities. And I, I fell in love with that idea creatively. And I would say for the first two years, 
I'm still friends with the guys at Mythical. I had a really great time. We built some interesting content and games. We built a platform which is well used in the marketplace. It's pretty successful at this point. But along the way, I would say there's nothing to do with Mythical, more to do with the business I was finding myself in. My honest answer to the question is a very human one. I just got this sense that something was wrong. Mm. There were people raising ungodly amounts of money. Yeah. I, could, I saw it in ourselves and I saw it in others around us. Ungodly sums with ludicrous valuations, with no diligence and no board seats. And I'm just sat there watching this solar system revolve around. I'm just thinking, ah, something's going to bust here. I, I don't know what it is, but this is a breaking point. Again, I don't mean mythical. I don't, any one particular. I felt as an ecosystem, something's about to fucking blow. And then we had the whole FTX thing. And obviously no one saw that coming. Maybe people smarter than us saw that coming, but that made me think, oh, okay. At least instinctively as a creative person, as a human being, I was right that if there was something that was a absolute H-bomb coming, it would actually literally just wipe out so much around it that web three games are probably going to be in the first second zone of that a bomb whatever we do I, I that's what it felt like to me so but i still believe when i speak to friends who are engaged in web three certainly what's happening outside of the united states that uh ownership matters and at some point yeah we get rid of the grifters and stop calling it by its technology because guess what we've been using tokens in video games for 30 years to save your game and player account on a server somewhere. I think it could come back as something really compelling as it comes back as a creative idea without all the stupid acronyms attached to it that drove people crazy. Yeah, I think that's right. I think the money definitely ruined a lot of potentially good companies because they have valuations that they'll never live up to. They'll never be able to raise another round of capital. Player communities that were promised things that they can't deliver because they didn't anticipate how hard it was going to be, right. all of that. There was the, there were the gamers and the speculators, and it was the speculators that kind of ruined it for everyone else. Yeah. Because the, the wealth disparity was clear and obvious to anybody. Uh, and so there was this horrible grift, plus all the scamming that was going on with creators online and YouTube. The whole thing didn't feel like anything that, with any reasonable amount of money, who might have 20 bucks to spend on a game and maybe 20 bucks to spend on a game next month or the month after. There was no way they're going to invest their time or money in it. In the end, it felt like we said earlier about building games to the Fortnite audience uh, and having an 8% chance of success. You'd be so focused on who is this for and do they want it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> do they yeah, want this? I... I had a great conversation with Hilmar, CCP, CEO of Runs Eve Online and but I've been running my service 20 years. My community and my players love me. I don't, I don't need this shit. <laughs> I was like, all right, that's probably the greatest one-line summary. Of... Yeah. Yeah, what do you say to that? Fair enough? <laughs> I think I might have said fair enough, yeah. He's brilliant, though. He's created one of the greatest fucking social experiments, psychological experiment example of homo sapien behavior rendered in software the world's ever seen so i a lot of what he says with a lot of weight so i was like yeah you got a point <laughs>
thank you, Pete, for taking the time. This has been a wonderful conversation. I uh, really appreciate it. Yeah, man. I loved it. It's really great to see you again. You too.